So we've just come through a section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was contrasting and comparing the quality of righteousness that he expects from his children, from those who claim to be his followers, and the Pharisees. And we learned there that there are a number of qualitative differences between the one who merely professes to be a believer and the one who actually is a believer. And as we come to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus now moves into the motivations for our practical righteousness. If you look at these texts, so chapter 6 verse 1 is the controlling text that is being explained in the next three sections of this chapter. We will, over the coming weeks, um, in a few weeks, talk about uh, the Lord's Prayer and fasting. This morning we will kind of touch on giving, but all three of these uh, are illustrations of the principle that Jesus is making in verse 1 of chapter 6. All right? Verse 1 of chapter 6, if you remember, look at it again, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So we'll be spending the majority of our time there this morning and then moving into a quick look at how that works out in the area of giving. If you're anything like me, you recognize that every single one of us, right? Every single one of us, bar none, have some deep-seated desire either for applause or admiration of some kind, or recognition from others. We all want recognition or admiration from other people. And for the Christian, this is a very, very, very difficult battle. Because on the one hand, we do, you do, I do, without hypocrisy, hope to live to and for the glory of God, right? That is one of our deep, seated desires. We want to do everything in life for the glory of God. We want all of the recognition for everything that we are and everything that we do and everything that we say to go to the Lord. And at the same time, on the other hand, deep down, we do enjoy, we do appreciate the esteem and the compliments and the bravos sent our way by other people, don't we? And we hold both of these things. I want all the glory to be God's. But boy, I do like it when people admire me. We want to be admired for the favors we do, the accomplishments we achieve. We want others to know about the things that our our righteousness is. And we want them to respect the, the things that we do and also us who've done them. Deep down, we all enjoy the accolades. And at the very same time, motion for it to all stop, right? Is this just me? Deep down, we are quite fond of the approval and the kudos given to us, while at the same time, we don't. Being a human is quite confusing, isn't it? We are a bundle of contradictory emotions, contradictory intentions, contradictory desires, On the one hand, we want our efforts and our good works to be seen by others, and we appreciate and sometimes demand recognition for the good things that we've done, while at the same time hoping to keep our left hand from knowing what our right hand is doing. 
This internal contradiction revealed itself in my own life a number of years ago. Now, I'm just going to say right out at the beginning that this was a number of years ago because this illustration only serves to show how ridiculous and foolish I am. So it's and quite embarrassing, but serves to illustrate the point. I don't visit Toronto often. In fact, I do everything in my power to avoid going to Toronto. But every so often, I will be given tickets to some game or some event in the city. And when I do, it takes quite a while for me to gather myself, to set aside my rather strong tendencies toward homebodiness, and to set out for the event. And on this particular voyage, many, many years ago, to the crowded and overstuffed city, I took in a sporting event. Now, I don't remember what the sporting event was. Might have been a basketball game, might have been a hockey game. But I do remember that when the game was over, I quickly bobbed and weaved in and out of the crowds, walking the tunnels to quickly and hurriedly get to the GO train. I was on a roll, too. I was moving speedily. I was avoiding the the packets of slow-walking people and the numerous panhandlers until when I was looking ahead at the next path. You know, sometimes you're looking ahead as you're weaving in and out. I was looking ahead from my next path to the train, and a homeless man stepped right in front of me. A homeless man in tattered clothes stood in front of me, holding out to me a well-worn Tim Hortons cup with a few pennies in it. And he asked me if I had any money. Do you have any money to spare? I'm hungry. I need to purchase some food later on this evening. Now, I didn't want to give this guy any money. I wanted my money. And my mind went to the place that everybody's mind goes to when considering a homeless person's ask for your funds. What's he going to spend it on? Hard liquor, I bet. But regardless, for some reason that day, I reached my hands into my pockets to see what I had there, and I pulled out a fiver, one of those precious blue bills. I pulled it out of my pocket, stuffed it into his cup. He was very appreciative, and he yelled out, he bellowed out, thank you! And I kept on my way to the train, and I headed home. And as I boarded onto the train, I hunkered down into one of those empty off-white plastic seats, you know those seats? And I thought about the encounter, and foolishly and ridiculously, an internal battle ensued in myself. I just gave a homeless guy $5. Maybe my parents were right about me. I am a good boy. I mean, that's $5. It's not chump change. His cup only had a few coppers in it. I put in paper money. I must be pretty generous. It's amazing where the mind can go, right, on that hour-long go-train odyssey from Toronto back to wherever you're going. There was one problem, however. No one had witnessed the event. No one had witnessed my rather magnanimous deed of generosity. There was no one there to applaud this benevolent act. Now, on the one hand, in my spirit, I know Scripture well enough to to, to know that I ought to stop this line of thinking, I began to remind myself, you know, Gino, Christians don't practice good deeds in order to be recognized by others. Christians don't let their right hand know what their left hand is doing. 
was only $5. Don't make yourself out to be some sort of Acts 245 Christians. You know, the ones who sold their possessions and distributed their proceeds to all as any had needs. Don't portray yourself as one of those. It was only $5. And most likely, had you reached your hands into your pocket and found a loony there along with the $5, you would have given the loony, you cheapskate. So I forgot about it for a little bit. And after arriving home, I went to bed for the night. And waking up in the next morning, my flesh hadn't let it go. I, I, you know what? I gave away $5, man. For the rest of the day, I found subtle ways to crowbar my self-perceived, my self-perceived generosity into every conversation, all the while convincing myself that I wasn't boasting. Oh, the deceptions of the heart, right? So, Gino, how's your week been? Oh, oh, it's been great. Thanks for asking. I've been playing with the kids. I've been spending time with the wife. Gave a homeless guy $5. You know, the same old, the same old. What did you do yesterday, Gino? Oh, it was great. I went to a game. I saw the sights in Toronto. I always forget how high the CN Tower is. I, I always notice it when I'm standing under it. I bought one of those huge hot dogs from a street meat vendor in the front of the arena. I'm still feeling that today. Gave a homeless guy $5 and took the GO train home. And that Bible study. So does anyone have any prayer requests? Yeah, I have one. The other day I encountered a homeless guy and I gave him $5. Pray for him. (laughs) That he would use the money well. Now obviously it wasn't that overt. These are a few over-the-top examples to prove the point. It might not have been quite that obvious, but I did in fact find ways to mention numerous times about the giving of $5 to a homeless guy in Toronto. And at the very same time, and this is how foolish it all is, at the very same time, I wanted no one to know. And I wanted everyone to know. And this hasn't been the only time. I, and if you're anything like me, you, fight the same internal struggle. I want the praise to be the Lord's, and at the same time, I just want some for myself. And we can oh so cunningly and craftily masquerade our desire for admiration and recognition as a spiritual concern, can't we? We portray our deeds as examples. Listen, I'm only telling you this because I want to inspire you towards love and good deeds, when in reality, we simply want to be noticed. Welcome to humanity, right? For others, it's much more obvious, much more direct. They give and they expect to get some sort of plaque or acknowledgement for that gift put up in the place that they gave to. Some give and, ex- and have entire wings or departments of a school or a library or a hospital named after them. My family used to love watching America's Got Talent. I don't know if you ever watch America's Got Talent. And, but you can, everyone's story in that show is the same. Starting with the, I've had a tough life, but through it all, the dream of seeing my name in lights has kept me going. And now I'm here. This is my one and only shot to make it. 
And when they do make it, there are tears flowing through in happiness. And when they don't, when the judges pronounce the act unworthy of any further consideration, there are tears of rage and confusion. How could you not see how great my voice is or hear how great my voice is? How can you not see how great my act is or my talent is, whatever it is? I want the glory. The desire for attention and or admiration from other people is a consistent hunger that growls in each and every one of us. Now you might think to yourself, no, 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 that's not me. I can't stand it when people applaud me. I can't stand it when people center me out. Well, that does not mean that you don't want attention or recognition. It just means you want it from fewer people or perhaps in more subdued venues. You might be introverted and recoil at the idea of a room full of people clapping for you and giving speeches about you. But that doesn't mean you flinch at the idea of people thinking highly of you and recognizing your good deeds. We all do what we can to get the attention that we desire, whether it's subtly crowbarring your rather generous gift of $5 to a homeless guy into every conversation or any other number of good deeds. Or it could be moaning and groaning to others about your victimhood or your trials in order to gain their attention and recognition. Whether it's being the life of a party or being the downer at the party. Whether it's seeking attention by your grandiose and boisterous personality or by laboring to draw others into your tangled, depressed, and seemingly unfixable life. The mentality is the same. Look at me. Pay attention to me. See my face, notice me, recognize me. No matter who you are, in one way or another, we want recognition, we want attention, we want focus from others. Why? Because we are all relational beings. We are all people people. Whether it's the love of the crowd or whether it's the love of one or two And the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they weren't any different. They also wanted the applause and the admiration of everyone around them. So much so that their good and righteous deeds were always performed in some way or another in the sight of men. So that men would commend them and think highly of them. And whether we are those who A, fight the internal struggle between doing things secretly for the glory of God or, and telling people to gain, or telling people to gain the honor of man, whether, it's, whether that's us, whether we're the ones that are fighting that battle or whether the, we are the Pharisees who simply do everything so people will see and give us the credit, Jesus levels a warning to us in the text this morning, a warning that every single one of us ought to take very, very, very seriously. Look at it again in 6.1. Beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Again, this is the controlling verse for the next three subjects that will be addressed by Jesus. Acts of righteousness performed by the Pharisees for all to see. That's, that's what Jesus is addressing, but in a, in, a, in a larger way, it's all of us who perform acts so that we will be noticed, recognized, admired, and or applauded by other people. 
In verses 2 to 4, it's giving. In 5 to 15, it's prayer. In 16 to 18, it's fasting. And the Puritan commentator Matthew Henry observed that these three examples actually cover the totality of our lives. In our giving, we honor God with our estates. In our prayer, we honor God with our souls. And in our fasting, we honor God with our bodies. These three things cover the totality, all of the facets of our life. In every area of our life, we practice righteousness and obedience to God to His glory and His glory alone. As difficult as this is for us humans who are so easily swayed to seek His glory for ourselves, Jesus warns us, beware. You see that there? Beware. In other words, be on guard, be alert to, be cautious of this act because we are always in danger of doing it. And what are we to be aware of? Look at the verse again. Practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So to be clear here, the issue is not the practice of righteousness. We are all required to live righteous lives in obedience to the Lord. The Apostle John wrote as much in his letter, 1 John 2.29. He wrote this, If you know that he, that Jesus, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So the issue isn't the practice of righteousness. The issue isn't even the practice of righteousness in the sight of other people. In fact, Jesus made this clear earlier in the sermon when he said in 5.16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, if you truly love Jesus, your life will be characterized by good works and the practice of righteousness in every facet of your life. It will be unavoidable in some sense that people will see how you live your life in obedience to Jesus. So live your life in a way that they see and, here's the kicker, give glory to God, right? Give glory to God. That last line is the key. Live your life in such a way that people give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's one thing to live to and for the glory of God, to live obediently so that God is honored and exalted in all that you say and in all that you do. It's another to shift or transfer the glory that rightly belongs to God our Father and God alone in our own direction. This is what Jesus is addressing here. The pharisaical tendency to perform good deeds not purely for the glory of God, not that people might see and praise the Lord for his goodness, but instead that people would notice and adore and congratulate and applaud them. Now listen, I spent a long time writing about this doctrine of God's glory. And one of the things I came out of this whole writing process with is that this is one of, if not the single most wicked of sins in all of Scripture, the redirection of glory in any other direction than God's. Or not deflecting the glory that men bring to us back to God himself. This is a stealing 
of God's glory. This is being a glory thief. Now, to be uh, sure, you can't actually steal God's glory. He is perfectly glorious within himself. But we can ascribe what rightfully belongs to God to ourselves or to others. An act that every single one of us must always beware of committing. Know this. God is exceedingly jealous over and for his glory. God guards his glory vigilantly. Listen to a few of the declarations in Scripture concerning his glory. In Psalm 29, like we read, listen to the singular direction that glory goes in. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. You see that? One direction. Psalm 55, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over all the earth. Psalm 66, verses 1 and 2, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Isaiah, the prophet, in chapter 24, in the east, give glory to God. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. And know this, God has made it clear, he will not, he does not share or give his glory to anyone else. Isaiah 42, the Lord said this through, that, through the prophet Isaiah, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And in Isaiah 48, 9 to 11, we read this. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. This is to Israel. That I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake. I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. See, all through Scripture, glory belongs to one and one alone, the Lord our God. And it is left to us to recognize this and to ascribe all of it to Him. It is left to us to avoid seeking the glory and the admiration and the accolades and applause that rightfully belong to him for ourselves. It is commanded by our Lord Jesus that we beware of practicing our righteousness in order to be seen, right? In order to be seen, that's what our text in 6.1 says. And to be seen here actually means to be admired by, to be a spectacle to, to impress others so that their applause is sent in your direction rather than the Lord's. We are called to stop up every pipe in our heart that leads glory on any course other than directly to the Lord himself. Look at some examples in Scripture of those who spurn God's glory and or seek the glory of God for themselves and listen to what the Lord, how the Lord reacts to such a deed. The wilderness generation, for example, 
those who witnessed the glorious and mighty delivering power of God as he led them out uh, from uh, the Israelites out from their punishing enslavement in Egypt. Do you remember them? He led them through the Red Sea and he led them toward the promised land. And those, those children of Israel who watched, who saw, who witnessed all of the events, they witnessed the pillar of fire and they witnessed the pillar of smoke and they witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the glory of God's power in action. And when they got into, uh, on the other side of the sea, they found that there was, they had to trust the Lord for water and for food. And even though they saw everything that the Lord had done, even though they were eyewitnesses to the glory of God, they rebelled in the wilderness and chose to grumble against Moses and Aaron, saying, in Numbers 14, 2, Oh, would that we had died in the land of Egypt to see firsthand the glory of God and then to grumble and rebel against that glory, to spurn that glory, provoked the Lord against that entire generation save two, Joshua and Caleb. And so the Lord declared this to that generation. Truly as I live... It's Numbers 14, 21 to 23. Truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despised me shall see it trifling with and grumbling against the Lord after eyewitness first-hand accounts of his glory was enough to disqualify them from the promised land. The glory of God is not something to be trifled with, not something to be despised, not something to be grumbled against, not something to be redirected, not something to be ascribed to one's self. We are always called to send it past the person to the Lord. Augustine, the early church father, wrote this in his confessions. He loves thee, or he loves you, God, too little, who loves anything together with thee, which he does not love for thy sake. The idea there being, you do not let praise terminate on the person, right? You always Send your praise through the person to the Lord. It's okay to say, hey, well done, good job. But it's not enough to end there. We need to be saying things like, I am so thankful to God for the job that you've done or that he's done through you. God always is the one who gets the glory. Never let your praise terminate on anything or end anywhere other than God himself. We also see God's reaction to his, to, uh, his glory being trifled with twice in the book of Acts. First, Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira. You remember that narrative? Their sole goal was the practice of righteousness in order to be seen by others, in order to be admired by others, in order to be applauded by others. Rather than honoring God, rather than exalting the goodness and the glory of God, we read in Acts 4 
that as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to everyone as they had need. This is what the unnamed saints in Acts 4 were doing. Selling and giving so that God got the glory. However, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Both Ananias and Sapphira knew what they were doing. They sold a plot of land along with the rest of the believers who were doing the same thing, but instead of giving it all, they kept back a part of the proceeds for themselves and they passed off what they set at the apostles' feet as the full amount that they got for the property. They wanted recognition. They wanted the accolades of having given. They wanted their name spoken in the same breath as the number of generous believers who had sold their own properties and donated their money. And so you can see, they gave the money, hoping that no one would notice their little ruse. And as you can see, their name is remembered, isn't it? But not probably as they would have liked. They stand as symbols to hypocrisy. They stand as symbols to vain glory. And this was all apparent to Peter, who said to them, Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. I want you to notice the Acts uh, 4.34 believers who sold and laid everything down at the apostles' feet. Guess what? None of us remember their names, do we? Their names are not in lights. But Ananias and Sapphira's, their, Sapphira's, their names are remembered. So that gives, begs the question, if you could choose to be one of the two groups in here, would you rather be Ananias and Sapphira remembered for your vain glory and hypocrisy or the other saints who are forgotten and yet remembered and rewarded by God himself? That's the first one we see in Acts. The second one is with Herod the king. In Acts chapter 12, Herod the king persecuted the church. He even had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword, according to Acts 12.12. And this act of killing one of the apostles, it pleased the Jews. It caused the Jews to like sing praises to Herod. Oh, yes, we love this act. And so Herod then went to, went to arrest Peter as well, presumably with the intention of killing Peter also. Herod loved the applause of men. He loved the glory that belongs only to God ascribed to himself. And, and, and Herod paid dearly for this. In Acts 12, 21 to 23, we read this. On, the, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and do, delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. 
Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. We're starting to get a picture of the seriousness of ascribing the glory of God to yourself or seeking the glory that belongs to God for yourself. And finally, in the most ghastly and outrageous attempt at glory thievery, we come to Lucifer, the angel of light. He grasped at and he sought for himself the glory that belongs to God alone. And the prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse of the event in 14, chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. We read this. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. The intention of the enemy was to ascend to heaven, to make himself like the Most High. However, the same thing that happened to him happens to everyone who attempts to grasp at what rightfully belongs to God alone. He was cast down. Luke, 18, Jesus, or Luke 10, verse 18, Jesus said it, I saw Satan fall from heaven. And in Matthew 25, 41, when the goats are sent off to the eternal fires of hell, we are told that those eternal fires of hell are prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the principle given to us, set forth by Jesus himself in Matthew 23. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And this is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Proverbs 25, it is not good to eat much honey, nor is it good to seek one's own glory. Proverbs 29, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. To redirect glory to anywhere other than God is to imitate the error of Satan. So do you see the pattern? Efforts to practice righteousness in order to be exalted or applauded for them is self-exaltation rather than God-exaltation. And when we look to be lifted up in the eyes of others, the ultimate result of exalting ourselves is a humbling of us from the Lord. We saw it in Ananias and Sapphira. We saw it in... Herod, we saw it in the wilderness generation. We saw it in Lucifer. This humbling might be in your life an eternal humbling like that of Herod. It might be a season of humbling. It might even be a humbling that manifests itself in you physically. This is what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul, right? 
The Lord in the life of the Apostle Paul actually preemptively humbled the Apostle Paul so that he wouldn't become conceited. You see, Paul had been blessed by the Lord with a glimpse into the heavens. And he was caught up into paradise and there he experienced, he saw and he heard things that cannot be told, things that man cannot utter. We read that in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 4. But the problem with such splendid and majestic experiences is that they may lead the participants in them to exalt themselves. How, you might ask? You might say, look at me. I've been given special treatment by the Lord. I must be favored by Him in a way no one else is. And this mentality of glorifying the self is exactly what Christ consistently condemns in the Pharisees. And so, by the grace of God, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. You hear that? To keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So listen. The battle is raging. Your flesh, my flesh, desires recognition and applause for our good works, for our efforts, for our smarts, for our position, along with an endless number of other things. But we must always labor. We must always fight against. We must always beware of this desire. We must practice and fight against the desire and seek to put self-glorification to death. We must always fight against the persistent temptation in all of us to do our righteousness before others in order to be seen by them and when we're not seen by them, seek in subtle ways to be recognized for them. Now I'm speaking to myself just as much as to anyone. And this is for a couple of reasons. First, all glory belongs to God alone. We see this a number of times in the New Testament, right? Colossians 3.17, for example. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And second... God rewards those who humble themselves. Do you see that in the text here, 6.1? Those who are applauded by men, according to 6 verse 1, says this, will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You see that? The applause of people, the exaltation that comes our way from others, let me tell you, it is of an infinitely lesser quality, an infinitely lesser value and preciousness than the rewards that come to us from our Father who is in heaven. The applause of other people is nothing more than a cheap and fleeting substitute. Seeking the applause of men reveals nothing more than an impatient and impatient heart in too much of a hurry that we would rather gain the cheap accolades of each other right now rather than the joyful, delightful, and abundantly rich accolades of God later. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
And in the next three sections of the sermon, Jesus is going to work this out in practical ways in the Christian's life. How do we practice such deeds of righteousness so that we are not seeking and ascribing glory to ourselves, but giving it all to the Lord? So the first one that we'll look at just quickly this morning is that of giving and charity. So in recognition of the beware that Jesus says in verse 1, he provides an example to us starting in verse 2, saying this. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. In each of these examples, notice that Jesus uses the word when. You see that? When. When you give to the needy. The idea is, uh, the idea being that giving, prayer, and fasting are just simply expected by Jesus among those who believe in him. Jesus simply assumes that his people engage in these acts. Giving, prayer, fasting. And in our text this morning, charitable giving is the act of worship he focuses on. Charitable giving is indeed a deed of righteousness to be practiced by God's people to the glory of God alone. However, our motivations for giving are very, very, very important. When you give, do you give and then sound the trumpet for it so that others might recognize and applaud you? Or when you give, do you give quietly between you and the Lord without calling any attention to it? See, Jesus said, sound no trumpet before you. You see that in, in the text there. Sound no trumpet before you. Well, so there's no evidence of Pharisees actually bringing trumpeters to announce their donations. I think this is hyperbole that Jesus is using, an extreme example that Jesus is uh, using here, picturing the announcement of your charity. Right? To announce your charity, either subtly or uh, explicitly, is the equivalent of renting a trumpeter troop, having them line up on both sides of the offering box, trumpeting loudly to announce you, you as you walk up and drop your offering into the box. Ba, 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 ba. Everybody, listen up. Asher is on his way to the box, and he has $1,000 to put into it. I didn't mean to choose you, Asher. I'm sorry. It's all right. <laughs> this is what the search for praise in your giving amounts to in the eyes of Christ. To loudly or subtly announce to everybody that you gave a homeless guy $5 or that you gave gifts to this organization or to that person or to that church is trumpet-blowing. And it makes us out not to be those who seek to do all things to the glory of God, but instead it makes us out to be glory bandits, something we ought never to be. The trumpet sounders operate in, a, in the sphere of the hypocrites, as Jesus proclaims, right in the very next line. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Hypocrites here in this context are those who pretend to be something they are not. In this case, the scribes and the Pharisees presented themselves as those who were concerned solely for the glory of God's name, all the while internally seeking the glory of their own name. 
So what motivates your charity? What motivates your giving? What drives you to give? Is it vainglory? Is it the show? Is it control? Is it for people to put your name in lights? Or are your charitable deeds and offerings practiced out of faith, in obedience, in thankfulness, in praise to the Lord between you and him for his glory alone? One of these is the gift of the hypocrite, the trumpeting hypocrite, and one of these is the practice of righteousness by a believer. The hypocrites would make it clear in the synagogues that they were big givers. When they made an offering, while there were no trumpets involved, they would advertise their gifts to everyone in attendance as they would walk up with their finances in hand and they would give. But their giving was in order to receive some sort of increased social capital, some increased honor or praise from others. And these same men who gave in the synagogues like that, also when they were in the streets, did very much the same thing. They would announce their charitable givings to the poor in the streets to everyone who would, who would look and listen. They would, as sorrowfully I did, find ways to let everyone know that they gave however much money to someone in need. And again, they did it for the praise and the accolades of men. Jesus made that clear, right? He said, they do this that they may be praised by others. You see that in the next line there, that they may be praised by others. And this is dangerous for our health too. I've got this theory. And my kids, I always, sometimes I'll tell my children, you're not allowed to ever be famous. If someone were to come because they heard you singing in the mall and they thought you were great and they were going to sign you to a record contract, you are not allowed. But why? Because of what fame does to a person. Have you ever noticed what fame does to a person? And the longer, generally speaking, the longer someone remains famous, the messier they get. Why is that? Why is it that people who are getting the accolades of humanity, who are getting applause of humanity, who are gaining all of the respect and admiration of humanity, why is it that they end up being the, bigger, the biggest messes on the planet? Because while we might seek and love the accolades of other people, you and I are not designed to bear the weight of praise and glory. Only God can bear that weight. Such weights, such, th- such glory is a burden too great for us to bear. The longer a person is famous, the longer they are the object of people's praise, the object of people's glory, the more these same people tend to make an absolute mess of their lives. You see, the constant praise and constant glorification does something to us. It messes us up. It does something to our minds. Why? Because neither we nor they are equipped to bear the weight. Praise and glory are all to be ascribed to God because he is the only one who is worthy of them and he is the only one who can bear their weight. And in this uh, section here, the word praise right, that they may be praised by others, it's the same word that is used in chapter 5, verse 16, when it says to give, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The same word is here is used there. 
The idea is that they may be given glory by others. And look, it's not just the famous people of our day, but look at what this vain glory and this seeking of glorification did to the Pharisees. There's a reason Jesus is consistently hammering them on this subject. These are the ones who pass themselves off as the guardians of God's worship. But they weren't on guard against seeking the glory of people. And as the praise of, of their fellow countrymen came flooding in, guess what? They liked it. And over time, they, they turned from protectors of God's honor to seekers of their own honor. Something Jesus rebuked them for in John 5, He says, how can you believe, to the Pharisees, he said, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? Did you hear that? How can you believe? How can you believe when you seek your own glory from the lips of others? Beware. Guard against the ever-present desire to be recognized and praised by other people. Now listen. A great fear ought to grip each and every one of us here. Fear that we would accept for ourselves the praise that rightfully belongs to God and God alone. Jesus moves on and he says, Truly I say they have received their reward in full. When somebody does their righteous deeds in order to be seen or recognized whenever you are whenever that's your motivation or whenever that comes out of your mouth you have already received your reward and what is your reward the praise of other people that's not enough for me is it enough for you now for clarification's sake i'm not telling everyone in here that they need to run around like secret agents all right? Um, Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to give when other people might see. He's saying it's wrong to give so that other people will see. Check the motivations of your heart. Because to give so that others see and to receive applause for it means that you've received your reward already. It might very well be that all of us have already received all the rewards for all the good deeds that we've done. And so today is the day when that needs to change. To seek the praise of other people is a poor alternative to the rewards of God. To seek the praise of others is actually to cheat ourselves out of the rewards of the Lord. To seek the adoration of one another for our deeds of righteousness cancels out the rewards of God. So which would you rather? Would you rather the reward of God or would you rather the praise of man? If you'd rather the reward of God, listen to what Jesus said next. Verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Or when you give, sound no alarm for people. Don't broadcast your charity either loudly or subtly. Don't try to crowbar it into your conversations. Do not even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You... You don't even dwell on your charitable deeds. That's one of the ideas that is uh, clear, made clear in this left-hand, right-hand thing, right? It's you, yourself. You don't dwell on those things because the longer you dwell on them, the more you might want to be praised for them. You forget about them and instead praise the Lord for his blessings, the blessing of being able to participate in his glorious plan. When you give, praise the Lord that you were able to give. Praise Him. 
Don't seek recognition for it. Beware of holding your hands up before your eyes in order to pridefully adore your own deeds. Look at the work of my hands. No, beware. All that you have and all that you are belong to God, are given to you by the Lord, and so you thank him and you praise him for his goodness. Only remember his deeds on the earth and forget yours. Any adoration of and dwelling upon your charitable deeds is a danger to you. Instead, be like the sheep of Matthew 25. You remember that? Who, when gathered up by Jesus, King Jesus, hear this from his lips. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And what is the response of the sheep? Do you remember? Lord, when? 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 When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. See how many times they said when? There was no focus on the deeds of righteousness because all their deeds of righteousness were a part of their natural lives to the glory of God. So much so that when Jesus said, you did all these wonderful deeds, here's your reward, they're like, when? When, when did we do that? My right hand does not know what my left hand was doing. You don't need to keep a record of your charity. And this is one of the blessings as we're coming to a close. You don't need to keep a ledger of your righteousness. You don't need to seek the applause and recognition of others for your righteous deeds and your gifts. You don't need to be noticed for them at all. Instead, it is far better to keep them secret, so secret that even you forget them and direct all glory to the Lord. Do not even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret. See that? Keep it all secret. Don't search around for the applause of others. Instead, let God take note. Let God keep the ledger. Let God keep the record. Let him write it out. Because, look at this last half of verse 4, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Our entire lives are lived under the eyes of the Lord. He sees and he takes note of everything we do. We don't need the applause of men. We need to direct all men's along with our own applause to the Lord and know that he is the one who sees. He sees everything that you've done that other people don't. Nothing escapes his attention. And on the last day, everything that is hidden will be revealed. So pressing for and seeking for recognition for your deeds of charity in this life cancels out the rewards of God in the next. And so practicing, listen, practicing your righteousness before others so that they might see and give you praise, you are simply robbing yourself. You are robbing yourself. And even worse, you're engaging in glory thievery, both of which we must beware of. 
So practice your righteousness, whether it's giving or praying or fasting or whatever it is in this life, simply and purely for the glory of God alone. Without seeking the adoration and the recognition and the applaud and the, and the admiration of other people. And know that your Father sees it all in secret. He knows and will give with open hands delightful and abundant rewards for your uh, seeking of his glory alone. Today's a new day, right? Let your entire life, every single facet of it, be one that ascribes glory to God and to God alone. One that leads others to ascribe glory to God and God alone. And in the end, the reward will far outweigh any of the accolades that you could have gotten from me or from anyone else in this building. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are an absolutely, perfectly glorious and wonderful God. You are worthy of all glory. You are worthy of all praise. You are the only one who is worthy of all of these. And so, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for the times when we have not ascribed glory to you but sought to have that glory ascribed to ourselves. We pray for your forgiveness for the times when we have redirected glory that ought to be... um, put into your direction into over to our direction. Lord, we know that you jealously guard your glory. And so I pray that your spirit would empower us and convict us to help us to understand that your glory is yours. And help us to live lives that lead everyone to ascribe glory to you. Help us to live lives that we where what everything we do is for your glory and not our own. Lord, this is a battle that we all face. It's a battle we all struggle with, and we need your help. We pray this in the name of our Savior, who died that we might live. Amen.